0: I don't know about you, but that song reminds me, love lifted me. What a Savior. What a Savior. Well, good morning and welcome to Salem as we today have the joy of opening God's Word with you. For you that are watching online, we welcome you as well. We are uh, in a study of one of the uh, richest books of the Bible The book of Romans, and we've been in it for quite some time. For you that are visiting, we will take just a moment and do a little bit of a highlight here uh, of what Romans is about. But when we talk about Romans, I don't know what comes to your mind, but what I would like to come to your mind is we've got a book in our Bible that's going to tell us what we believe It is a doctrinal book. We're going to learn what we believe, but the Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, will also tell us how we behave. We're going to get doctrine, what we believe, but we're also going to get the practical application of how we live. This is a rich book. That's going to be very instructional, informative, foundational for us. When you think about this book about what we believe, it's going to focus on what we believe about salvation. Now, there are probably 30 great doctrines that we should study, but the doctrine of salvation is the doctrine that needs our attention the most. This is the heaven and hell doctrine. When we think about what we learn in Romans about salvation, we learn from this great book, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. This is the problem of mankind. All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. Man is a sinner. And it doesn't get better. The bad news goes to worse news. As we learn from this great book, the wages of sin is death. Romans six twenty three, the first part. There is a penalty for sin. Man has to pay that penalty, and it's going to be separation from God for all eternity. What a price. What a penalty. But then we read on, and we read in verse 23, the second part, but, hold on, but, hold on, but. The gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And within the bad news, the worst news, comes some good news. There is a gift that is available to us. What did he do so that we could have this gift? We back up for just a second as we've been studying through Romans, and we find out Romans 5:8 says, but God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now there's a provision for the sinner. The sinner can now be saved. How is he saved? The sinner is going to be saved by calling on God, by confessing. We move to Romans 10. And in verse 9 and 10, we read we that, that, if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then comes that great verse, Romans ten thirteen, for whosoever put your name there, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans is a book about the the doctrine of salvation. When you come to it, you're going to learn about condemnation. That's how it starts. Every one of us is under the wrath of God. And every person who's not saved, the wrath of God is upon them and will continue upon them. But we also learn about justification and how a person who is unrighteous can be declared righteous, made righteous. They can't become righteous on their own. But with Jesus being trusted, he gives us His righteousness, justification. And the great work of justification is we go from facing the wrath of God to having the peace with God. There's no more war between us. He's adopted us into his family. We have peace with God. And then there's sanctification. We're now going to be living a different life. And then there's glorification. One of the ways to describe this is that while we are under sin with condemnation, the penalty of sin, justification takes care of the penalty of sin. Sanctification takes care of the power of sin. And one day, glorification takes care of the presence of sin. We're going to be in heaven, and there will be no more sin to deal with. Can I get an amen on that one? The book of Romans. It's doctrinal. But then also the Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, says, we're going to answer a big question. How then should we live now that we're saved? If you're a believer, how then do you now live? And he tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, the great transitional verse, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers— To you that are saved, I'm appealing to you by the mercies of God. Oh, think about your incredible salvation. To present, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, pleasing, acceptable, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. And now we've got a whole new focus on life. How do we live? Paul says, I want you to give your life completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, um, what do we need to be doing if we're going to give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Back in the early summer, Pastor Rick said, let's look at it this way. We're going to give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ by living an unordinary life. And it is an unordinary life. You talk about living differently. Now that you are saved, Things are going to start to take place in your life as you present yourself. And in verse 2, here's what he says that's going to bring about the unordinary life. He says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. But, oh, there's that word again. We got to focus on it. But, but something's different. It's got to be different. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If I'm going to live an unordinary life, I've got to start by the world gets out, the Word gets in, and now I am going to live not for my will, not for somebody else's will, but for God's will. And as we then start marching through Romans 12 and Romans 13, up to where Pastor Rick preached last week, up to verse 10, we're going to get 30, maybe less, maybe more, depends on how you count them, but let's just say about 30 actions we're supposed to put into practice. One of the reasons we love Romans 12, 13, this area, is because we're getting now what God wants us to do. And if you're checking yourself on, am I living out the practical, normal, unordinary Christian life, there's your instructions. There's the things to put into practice. From chapter 12, verse 2, all the way up to chapter 13, verse 10. It is loaded with the actions of a believer. Now, today, we come to Romans 13, verse 11. You have your handout. I'm going to get I'm getting ready to push a button. And when I do, you're going to see... Romans 13, 11 through 14. And what's not on your paper is a title. Here's the title, Smitty. Here it is. It's time to get with it. It's time to get with it. V.W., Paul has been teaching, but he's now going to go to preaching. He's got four verses that he's going to take a moment and he's going to go to preaching because it's time to get with it. And as I bring up on the screen the verses, as you look at them in your Bible or on the notes, I want that in your mind. It's time to get with it. Watch how this unfolds. He says, besides this, you know the time." that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But oh, there's that word again. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, when you look at verse 14, quite frankly, in the development of these passages, verse 14 probably should be its own sermon. Because as we start at Romans 12, 1, how do I live? Present myself. What does it mean to present myself? Verse 2 is the bookend. Verse 14 is the bookend. When we get into chapter 14 and 15, 16, Paul's going to deal with some specific things. But he wants you to know, what does the unordinary Christian life look like? It's from chapter 12, verse 2, to chapter 13, verse 14. With verse 14 standing by itself, I'll show you that in just a moment. He wants us now to put on Jesus. What does that look like? What does it look like to put on Jesus? Jesus. Well, we go back to verse 11. Get up! Wake up! I think Smitty heard me. (laughs) Smitty told me he wasn't sure if he could hear me today. Get up! Wake up! I don't know how you would have grown up I'm 62, so you got to put me in the 60s, 70s. Teenager, 72, 73. My father, he was my alarm clock. Any of y'all can identify with that? My father set the alarm for 6 a.m., And every morning at 6 a.m., that alarm went off. I could hear it across the hallway in my bedroom. His alarm went off. And then, Jeff, I heard his feet hit the floor. I then heard him walking across the floor. Yes, he understood something about time management. If you're going to wake up and get going, you can't have your alarm clock beside you where you reach over and hit. Well, most of us never knew anything about a snooze button. Now, a lot of us today know about a snooze button. My dad didn't know anything about a snooze button, and he didn't have the alarm clock next to him. He got up, walked across the floor, and he turned off the alarm. And then came those famous words as he looked out his door to my room, Dwayne, it's time to get up. And there was not going to be a second call. It was time to get up. Paul says, I've been teaching you how to live the Christian life, and I need to say to you right now, it's time to wake up and start doing it. Quit sleeping. Quit laying around. Get out of that bed. Let's get up and get going. Friends, there must be an urgency about living the unordinary life. There must be an urgency. An urgency. That's what Paul's trying to say here. There's an urgency. Are you urgent about the things of God? I want to share something right now that's very sobering. Very sobering. Life comes with a deadline. That's sobering, but it's more sobering. Life comes with an unexpected deadline, life comes with an unknown deadline. You only have so many days. Psalms 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days. To gather a heart of wisdom, number your days. You're not going to live forever. And Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your, all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave Where you are going. There's coming a day when all that you could ever want to do for God will come to an end. There's a deadline for your life. I want to know this morning do you live with a sense of urgency? In the book of Esther, Wicked, evil Haman has come up with a plan, presented it to the king. He said, let's annihilate every Jew. And Esther finds out about it. Mordecai says, Esther, you got to go and you got to appeal to the king. And you understand something, Esther, you're a Jew. Whatever is going to happen to other Jews is going to happen to you. You better get in there and you better go tell the king. Well, she goes in and tells the king. Well, the king's got a problem. He he has passed a law, and in his world, once you pass the law, it can't be changed. But he says, hold on, Esther, hold on, hold on. We can do something. While I can't say they can't kill the Jews, I can tell the Jews they can protect themselves. We can send messages out that every Jew who's going to be attacked by Haman's evil people, listen, they can protect themselves. Well, how quick are we going to get this message out? Well, find a few people and see what you can do. The king didn't say find a few people and see what you can do. He went and got his best men to ride the best horses as fast as they could. This is a life and death situation. Get the message to every Jew. Protect yourself. And friends, we have a world that's dying and going to hell. And we're hitting the snooze button. Are we urgent about getting the gospel to the world? Are we urgent like like the king's men who were on fast horses going as quick as they could to tell everyone, you need to know someone wants to kill you, you can protect yourself? We live in a world right now that our challenge as believers is greater than ever to make the gospel known to the world. I was born in 1960. Significant things are taking place because in 1860, 1860, the world hit, for the first time, 1 billion people. A hundred years later, 1960, the world hit 3 billion. In 100 years, the Earth's population tripled. We're at 8 billion right now. And statistics are telling us that if I live to 2037, 77 years of age, the earth will have 9 billion people on it. It tripled when I was born. I'm praying that I'll live long enough to see it to triple again. But you know what that means, folks? There's more people than ever. has got to hear the gospel. And we're hitting the snooze button. We're not urgent. This church must always be urgent about taking the gospel to the nations. That's part of who we are. That's our DNA. It must never change. We must be urgent about sharing the gospel. We need to be urgent. And then, well, I need to say this. I came across this quote this week, and it's something I heard from Jay Strack in 1990. I wrote it in my Bible, and the other day I saw it again, and I said, I've got to put this in my sermon. Jay Strack said, how many more nights will we go to bed dry-eyed while those around us cry themselves to sleep? How many more nights will we go to bed, dry-eyed, while those around us cry themselves to sleep? Wake up! Get up! And now, get ready. Get dressed. How are we going to get dressed? What do we got to do? Well, he tells us in verse 12. He says, the night is far gone— The day is at hand, so then let us cast off. That's the next point in the notes. Let us cast off the works of darkness. He says, I want you to get up and I want you to get ready. I got a feeling with school starting this week, that may be a big phrase that's used a lot as we not only tell our children it's time to get up, we're going to tell them, you got to get ready. I need you to get ready. Some of you are looking at your kids right now. It's time to get up. It's time to get ready. Um, You know what it means to cast off? It means to throw away. It means to get rid of. There are works in our lives that marked our lives when we were lost. It's called darkness. And he wants us to take those darkness, those evil, wicked deeds, and get rid of them. They're not part of our lives anymore. But then he says, do this, put on, put on the armor of light. Now you're living differently. You're now not walking in darkness, but you're walking in the light. You're living the light. Jesus is the light. You're living like him. So he's telling us, get up, get ready, cast off darkness, can't put on the light. And what he is telling us at this point is, if you're going to live the the unordinary Christian life, there's going to be a dramatic change. And that change is so dramatic, it's like light and darkness. And we know the difference, don't we? It's so different. People will say there's something so different about you. From light, darkness, you're now walking in the light. When I taught on Romans 12 a couple weeks ago. I started my message with, if I wanted to say, there's only one chapter in the Bible to study for the Christian life, which one would it be? And we'd have these debates at Liberty. Which chapter would I go to? If I only could give you one. And I told you, I would say, Romans 12, But also, I'm torn by Colossians 3, because Colossians 3 is also just absolutely loaded with how to live the Christian life. So I thought this morning I'd take just a moment and show you how Romans 12, Colossians 3 complement each other. And I told Matt this message is for him, because he's a discipler. And you've got to decide what you're going to teach them when you're discipling them, Matt. And it's Romans 12. My goodness, we've got 30 different actions. But look at Colossians 3 with me. In Colossians chapter 3, here's how it starts. If since, since, let's say the word really is since, since then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. And and that simply means stop thinking temporal, start thinking eternal. Your mind's not on the things of this earth, it's on the things of heaven. He says, for you have died. And your new life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Which sounds like the justification, the sanctification, the glorification. And then Paul writes these words. See how they'll start matching. Put to death... Therefore, what is earthly in in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry, put to death. On, On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these things, you too once walked when you were living in them. You don't live this way anyway. There's things that you used to do that are to be dead. What's a dead person do? nothing these are things that are not to be in your life then he says but now you must put them all away or put off put off what anger wrath malice slander and obscene talk from your mouth do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self, the works of darkness, with its practices, and have put on a new self, which is being renewed, there's that word from Romans 12:2, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here then, there, here there is not Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but in Christ, but Christ is in all and in all. And this is for everyone. Don't think it's for any, just a few people. It's for everyone. You're going to get rid of these things. And then he says, put on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness. Humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, as you must also forgive. And above all these, what did Pastor Rick preach last week? Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Colossians 3, I'm to put to death, I'm to put off, and I'm to put on. Sounds like Romans chapter 13, 11 through 14. There's things that have got to go, get it out. And there's things that we're now to put on. I, I would ask this, are you living in a sense of urgency of getting ready? Is there a sense of when you get up, I've got to go for God. I've got to get ready. I've got to get those sinful things out of my life and get righteousness on. Now, what does he tell us? It's an easy outline. Get up. Get ready. Get going. Get going. And he says it this way. When we come to verse 13, he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in parties and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in in quarreling and in jealousy. He tells us that we're to get going and we're to get going the right way. Let's get going the right way. Hit the floor, going the right way. He wants us to not go the wrong way. He lays it out there in verse 13. So easy to see. Let us properly, let us walk properly as in the daytime, there's a right way to walk, there's a wrong way to walk. Get up, get ready, get going, going the right way. What does going the right way look like? Well, I, I think it means with a purposeful walk. You know, when you look at Jesus' life, Right at the very beginning there, verse, when he was 12, he said, I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's business. When we were looking at Romans 12, what's he telling us to do? He's telling us find out what the will of God is. That's the purposeful life, doing the will of God. Find the will of God and do it. That's the purposeful life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says uh, that we're to lay aside all the different weights that that weigh us down, and let us, here we go, run the race that is set before us. That's the purposeful walk, the purposeful life. And then there's a pleasing walk. Colossians 1, 9 through 11 says that we may have a walk that is pleasing to Him. I I said this a few weeks ago, that I think really the objective of every believer is first and foremost to make it their aim to please God. If every day you're getting up with one mindset, today I want to please Him. Today I want to do that which is pleasing in His sight. Paul said, I make it my aim to please Him. So it's a pleasing walk. I don't want to do anything that hurts the heart of God. But there is things that will hurt the heart of God. And there is a wrong way to go. And in this, he just gives a quick snapshot of things that have no business in a believer's life. He he talks about parties and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. Now, if we had time to develop all of this, here's, here's what we would be developing. We're not to be living in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's First John chapter 2. And that's what he just summarized right there. We're not living a life after pleasure. We're not living a life after fulfilling the lust of the eyes. We think about sexual immorality. We think about the flesh. No, it's the lust of the eyes that's caused the sexual immorality. And then he says we're not to be quarreling and jealous. That's the pride of life. That's, that's where we, I have to have my way. And I don't want you to have what you have. We're not looking out for the other person. We're not esteeming the other person. We're looking for what we want. And so Paul says, well, you've got to get out of your life. If you're walking properly, there's some things that have got to go, and you can't have the lust of lies, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life in it. So then I ask this question, is there urgency right now? Is there an urgency in your life to practice righteousness? Do you quickly pursue righteousness? Paul will say that twice to Timothy. Pursue righteousness. Is there an urgency to do so? I I want you to know, Paul here, again, he's coming quick, he's coming hard, but he is laying it out as serious as he can. We're going to live differently. And now he gives the great summation And here's the great summation. How do I live the Christian life? Put on Jesus. Put on Jesus. When you get dressed, put on Jesus. What does that look like? He says, but, uh, that word really could be rather, instead, on the contrary. Rather than living in that other way, you're now going to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that play out? Well, when you got saved, who came into your life? Jesus. He comes into your life. Positionally, he lives in you. Practically, what Paul is saying now, put him on. In other words, let him come out. What's on the inside now comes out. What's on the inside is now coming out. John will write it this way. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. One of the reasons you're going to learn about Jesus and how he's lived is so you can live like him. One of the reasons you got to be in Bible study is so you can learn how Jesus lived so you can live like him. What's on the inside is now coming on, coming out. And other people see it, and they're impacted by your life because you're living like Jesus. I love how Paul's realistic it sounds so easy, but doggone it, I got a battle. My flesh doesn't want to do spiritual things. So he says, by the way, you got to do something. You got to be decisive and you got to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, I looked at this verse and I, I thought, How could I illustrate that you're not going to make any provision for your flesh? Well, everybody here knows I'm a Los Angeles Dodger fan. If you didn't know that, you should know that. I am a Los Angeles Dodger fan. I love the Dodgers. I've loved the Dodgers since I was nine years of age. I love the Dodgers. But if the Dodgers were viewed, David, as sin, you're, yeah, that's right. A person wearing Dodger stuff is a lost person. So I get saved. What should I put on? Go on and say it. What should I put on? The Braves. I should put on a Braves uniform. So I'm taking off the Dodgers and I'm putting on the Braves. But I really like the Dodgers. And David says, Hey, Dwayne, I thought you were a Braves fan now. I, I, I am. I'm a Braves fan. But, but, but. Dwayne, if you want to be a Braves fan, you can't make any provision for checking on the Dodgers. They're no longer part of your life. Take all the Dodger clothing and throw it away. Burn it up. Throw it off. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And now buy Brave stuff. And the more you get a Brave set and a Braves jersey and Brave socks and you look at what the Braves are doing and you see how great they are, the more you will forget the Dodgers. And folks, the more you put on Jesus and learn about Jesus' love, and the more you're seeing how much He cares for you and how He lives, and how if you live that way, it's gonna be an abundant life, the more you're gonna to wanna to stay away from the sin. Do the positive. Put on Jesus, and every time, no, no I'm not even thinking about sin. No, no, you're over here. I'm not, I'm not even going near. This is what I taught at Liberty. Just getting real practical. Don't put yourself in places where you're prone to fall. That means I can't go to Dodger Stadium to watch the Dodgers play. I can't even go there to watch them play, play the Braves. I have to stay away from it. Stay away from it. Now, there is an urgency here. There is an urgency. You've been given a new life, and that new life needs to be lived. You need to— be living it to the fullest. You need to be knowing Jesus and making Him known, making Him known worldwide. And there does need to be an urgency not just for us in this room today that are saved. But there does need to be an urgency for you that are not saved. Are you urgent about getting saved? Well, so far you haven't. You're watching online. Maybe you haven't got saved yet. You're watching and God's saying to you right now, you need to get saved. Is there an urgency? One of my favorite paintings is called "The Light of the World." When you look at that picture, Jesus is knocking on the door. Can you see on that door what's not there? There's no handle on the outside. This is Revelation 3:20. Holman Hunt painted this, and, and he painted it to show that you have to let Jesus in. You have to open the door. He's knocking. When I go to England, I go to Oxford to see this at the Keeble College. I see Holman Hunt's painting. I also go to St. Paul because there's a huge painting there in St. Paul's Cathedral. And, And years ago, they took down that painting to clean it. And when they took that painting down to clean it, on the back of it was written something. Here's what they found. Holman Hunt wrote, Lord Forgive me for making you wait so long. And you're sitting here this morning and you're not saved. Why are you making him wait? He's knocking on your heart. You're watching online. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And in just a moment, we're going to pray. And if you've never asked the Lord Jesus to save you, he's knocking on your heart. Open your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. You rose again, and I am trusting you. I'm confessing. I am believing in you. I'm calling on you for salvation. To the believer in this room this morning, are you urgent? Are you hitting a snooze button as God's calling you to do things? Well, we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I'm going to come back to one thing about that sober thought about life comes with a deadline. Life comes with a deadline for you, but it's also coming for your neighbor that you haven't told about Jesus. It's also coming for your friend and family member, relative that you haven't told about Jesus. It's a sobering thought, folks. We must be urgent about making Jesus known. So as we pray this morning, if you're not saved, I want you to come up here and tell me, I want to get saved today. If you are a believer who's been hitting the snooze button, and you want to say today, I am going to get urgent about doing the things that are urgent in the sight of God. The altar's open for you. Let's pray. Father, right now we commit ourselves to you, realizing that we just might not be as urgent about the things of God as we should be. I pray for believers right now to make commitments in their hearts to be fully committed, sold out, to make the biggest difference possible in their days that you've given them. I pray, Father, for anyone who doesn't know you, that this very day, right now, they will call on you and say, Lord Jesus, save me. May there not be another moment go by where they have not opened their heart to you. Is there a decision you need to make right now? Believer, say it to the Lord. If you're lost and you want to talk to someone, Pastor Rick, myself, others are here to talk with you. Father, thank you for your word. May we be urgent and put it into practice. We pray in Christ's name, amen.